Looking for a graduation gift to inform, inspire, and encourage? When you give a subscription to Christianity Today, you're giving redemptive, relevant news and thoughtful balanced dialogue about the church, current issues, and public theology. Visit orderct.com slash graduate gifts to get a discounted student subscription for the graduates in your life. Starting at only $2 per month, this gift will engage and grow their faith throughout the year. Click the link in the show notes or visit orderct.com slash graduate gifts to order now. is the Church Law Podcast, where you can get practical solutions for today's leaders. I'm your host, Erika Cole, the church attorney. Welcome back to the Church Law Podcast. My name is Erika Cole, known as the church attorney, and I am the creator of the Church Attorney Legal Audit System, a proprietary process for denominations and churches to assess their health from a legal perspective. Learn more and download your free legal audit document checklist found in the show notes. I'm thrilled to be your podcast host, and I want to thank each of you for listening. If you enjoy the podcast, your five-star rating and positive review so that other church leaders can find this invaluable resource would be greatly appreciated. So listen, I love today's topic. And I guess I probably say that all the time, but as my former pastor, Bishop Nelson, used to say, it's a poor frog that doesn't praise his own pond. So yes, I love this podcast. I love the information that we bring to you. And I love hearing from so many of you that you also find it practical and helpful. So today we're going to be talking about expanded uses for church property and the legal considerations that you'll want to keep in mind related to your church property. I've got a fantastic guest. So this will be an episode that you'll certainly want to listen to all the way through. My guest, Majet S. Parker Jr., began the practice of law in 1985. Prior to launching his own law firm, Majet was at a real estate firm, Lenoz & Blocker, LLP, where for 22 years, he served as a member of the Land Use Zoning Practice Group. He has won numerous land use cases before local zoning officers, boards, elected officials, and he has consulted with government officials at all levels of government on matters ranging from tax legislation to affordable housing and land use regulations. In addition to real estate issues, he counsels clients on a broad range of matters from regulatory compliance to contract negotiations and internal operations. Since 1990, Majet continues to be rated AV, the highest rating for strong legal ability and ethical standards by Martindale Hubble Peer Review. Before becoming a lawyer, Majet spent eight years as a combat arms officer in the United States Army, primarily in air defense artillery. Thank you for your service, Majet. During that time, he commanded an improved Hawk missile battery of 150 soldiers in NATO, Germany. He's a graduate of the University of Maryland School of Law, where he earned his Juris Doctor degree, and Morehouse College, where he earned his Bachelor of Arts degree with double majors in political science and urban planning. 
I'm going to just say, welcome to the podcast, Majette. There's so much that you have accomplished in your career. One of the things that I wanted to mention is you and I have the blessing of being able to serve together as advisors for the church law and tax newsletter associated with Christianity Today. And so I really appreciate you as a fellow advisory board member, as well as a fellow member of the bar who I know does splendid work with churches and faith-based organizations. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Sharika. And such a thrill to be here with you. You bring so much to the faith community that words cannot express what you mean to the entire faith community. They're just so outstanding. And your podcasts are fantastic. I want to encourage all the listeners today to log on and hear many of your podcasts because they're so much so relevant today. Yes. I appreciate it. Yes. Majette, your life's work has involved church property matters. What are some of the major issues you're seeing today that you'd want listeners to be aware of? I think, and thank you very much for that. Yes, I've been representing faith-based institutions, churches, and other temples and other entities since 1990. And today we're seeing, as many faith-based institutions see, we need to maximize or increase the revenue stream available through the use, the legal use of your property. Okay, and that's what I think we should talk about today. We are going to talk about expanding the uses of the church property and what do you need to do in order to do that, to achieve that, in order to build another stream of income to support the church. And so I see churches doing that, saying, how can we expand the use of our church? We use it on Sunday for worship. We practice on Saturday or midweek. We Midweek, we have Bible study. But are there other ways to build a stream of income with our property? And that's why I see as a topic today among our faith community. Well, some of the ways that we often see churches trying to do that, which I I echo your sentiments, I definitely support that as a revenue stream. And I recognize that there's some legal considerations that sometimes churches don't take into account when Mm -hmm. they do so. So some of the ways I've seen churches um, expand the use of their property, um, I'll go through a list. So number one is leasing the space or lease sharing. So this is a circumstance where churches who have their own property might share with a church that maybe they come in and they have service later on a Sunday. Maybe they're of a different faith and they have their services on a Saturday, something like that where they're sharing the space. A second area that I see is sometimes churches open up their maybe fellowship hall or something like that for events. So that's another area where maybe they want to bring in revenue. Again, significant legal considerations that we should talk about. A third way is solar leases and other contracts. So whether we're talking solar leases or I even had a church where they were positioned in an ideal place off of a major freeway and a large advertising firm wanted to place a huge bulletin board there. So I just toss out three or four ideas as jumping off points where we can see, yeah, it's a neat way to bring in additional revenue, but there are absolutely some legal considerations there. Do you want to maybe highlight some of the legal components? Oh, absolutely. And that's a great, great intro into that. Um, Solar leases, also cell tower leases. If you own property, cell companies, cell phone companies are always looking for 
ways to expand their services, sell tower leases, advertising signs. That's one, it's a tricky one, but we'll talk about that a little bit further. And here's a new one in protecting and becoming better stewards. Consider reforestation, planting trees. And there are many developers out there in the commercial real estate market that when they build a new building, they have to replace trees. Well, you can create a tree farm and sell credits to allow those developers to build apartments, the shopping centers, whatever they're building, and they replant the trees on the church's property, thereby being a better servant and a better steward of God's property by putting many trees on of a diverse type on your property and allow that to take in the carbon and cool off the planet a little bit more. So those are just some of the eyes out there, but there's many, many ideas too. And you mentioned leasing it. Well, there's different ways of handling the legal documents for the partial use of your properties. The top would be a lease agreement, which is a long-term agreement between the owner of the property called the landlord and a tenant, meaning the party that's coming in to use a part of your space. You sign a lease agreement and it spells out with much legal work behind it what the relationship involves. I will tell you though, the lease agreement, while that's the top of the scale of these type of agreements, there's one that's not as onerous on the landlord church called a license agreement. And many churches don't know about a license agreement. The primary difference between a lease agreement and a license agreement is that a license does not grant any interest in the property. Now, people may say, well, what's that all about? Well, way back in law school, in Property 101, we learned that the ownership of property under our system in the United States is considered like a bundle of different rights, if you would, okay? And when you buy property, you buy all of those rights to the property, that bundle of sticks. If you lease someone a piece of the property, you give them one piece of the bundle, a little bit of ownership right, an estate in the property, that they can then come back and say, well, we own part of the interest in the property. With a license, you don't do that. The church doesn't give that away. The license agreement does not grant any right of ownership, if you would, to the tenant. They're called a licensor and a licensee. And the church can control much more of its control of the property and its rights by going into a license agreement. They can terminate the license agreement at will if it's written in a document. So I want to encourage churches to learn more about license and leases. The third and the least onerous on the landlord church would be a use agreement, which, Arika, you mentioned early on, where someone, a party comes, if you have a family outreach center or a dining facility, and someone comes and wants to use that for one time. And that's a simple use agreement. You may use it during these hours, this day, still encourage you to get a lawyer who's very knowledgeable about what your faith tenets are so you can make sure you protect the ground that your invitees come in to use the property, like a morals clause. Exactly. I wanted to highlight it for that exact purpose where you're going with that, because what listeners might be familiar with is the term of facilities use agreement. And Mm -hmm. that is something that particularly in this day and time where we may have a general audience that might have beliefs that are different from your church's beliefs. So Mm -hmm. if you're going to have the outside individuals who may not be members, right, where under a membership, they may have already made a certain level of commitment to following the tenets of the faith, right? 
But if you're inviting people from the outside in, you're certainly going to want to have a written documentation around the church's faith, around its morals, around what things are acceptable on the premises and what things are not. And as I said to you before we hit record, you know, any one of these areas we could talk about for, you know, an hour, right? We could talk about these things forever. What we want to be able to do today is to be able to highlight the fact that if you're going to maybe have the benefit of these additional uses of your property beyond what is traditional church services, then you're going to want to make sure you have the proper legal counsel so that you protect your house of worship. I think that's really the bottom line, that you don't want to start one of these new ventures, whether it's sharing your space with another church or whether it's maybe even something that we mentioned about things to look out for in 2024 is the whole thing of charging stations, right? That's another unique use that churches might consider for EVs, right? We see this growing number of vehicles that we're, which again, I think is good, helping with emissions, et cetera. But if you're going to maybe be a charging station, you're going to want to make sure that you see how this potentially impacts your church and ultimately to maintain the property tax exempt status, which is a whole other discussion. So I'm going to make a left turn here because this is another significant area that I know that you help churches with a lot, and that is the RELUPA Act, R-L-U-I-P-A Act. So I'm going to ask you, what is the RELUPA Act and why should church leaders be aware of it? The RELUPA Act is called the Religious Land Use and Institutionalized Persons Act. It was enacted by the United States Congress in the year 2000, unanimously both Democrat, Republican, 100%, both parts of Congress and Senate, approve that, signed into law. And what it does on the land use part, it protects churches from discriminatory practices that sometimes government imposes on the use of the church, Ray Lupa. And I want to encourage all those viewing this to just look into Ray Lupa, type it up, R-L-U-I-P-A. And there's a wealth of information out there of how it can apply to help the church protect its use and be treated equally as any other property owner. And there's even podcasts on church law and tax regarding that. I did one at the 20th anniversary in 2020 on that. I think it was 2021, but Ray Lupa. And while we're taking that left turn, I want to do another right turn, if you would. (laughs) I want to encourage all of our church viewers and faith institutions You have members in the pews there that may be lawyers, paralegals, legal secretaries, students who want to study it, create what's called a law ministry, a ministry where you get those folks that are leaning in the side of the law to come together, pray together, study God's word together, but then also use their talent and their motivation about the law to help the church Look into these issues like Ray Lupa, like license agreement, leases, use agreements, create a law ministry. Many churches I go and represent and talk to them about these things, they've created these law ministries that take the first look at these issues, but then still retain a licensed attorney in your jurisdiction that you can consult with to make sure that all of the issues are covered. That's called a law ministry, and then make sure you have outside counsel licensed to practice law in that jurisdiction 
to help support all the documentation before you sign anything. No, I think that's a thoughtful consideration. I think anytime that we're bringing together people of God in a way that we can use our gifts and talents to the service of the kingdom of God, and that's a beautiful thing. So I want to mention as we are sort of coming toward the end here, a few areas that I've bumped into literally in the past several days. And these are not new issues. I've seen these things many times, but I want to just alert our listeners to them. And so that when some of these things pop up, I want our listeners to be able to say, oh yeah, I know that there's a legal side that we need to consider here. So I got a call from a church. It actually was initially an email through my website and we jumped on a Zoom meeting and they were sharing that the church was started, you know, many decades ago and the founder had the property in his name, him and his wife's name. And this is something I've seen many churches do for various reasons, especially independent churches that are founded and maybe they've been around you know, you're starting from ground zero. So sometimes the pastor has the property in his own name. But there's some significant legal considerations around that, not the least of which is when you create a legal entity, it is separate and apart from an individual, right? So the local church that is created is separate and apart from an individual. And generally, it's that church that would hold the right to the property where the church meets. And so I just want to mention that unfortunately in this instance, it created some challenges because over time, you know, this founder passed away and then you have what is quote unquote church property that gets transferred through the individual's estate as opposed to remaining with the church, which is why we create legal entities in the first place, right? for this ongoing legacy for it to remain with the church. So I just want to highlight that as a matter. I'm sure this is something that you've seen. And related to this, we know from church law and tax that I think Richard Hammer's been tracking this for maybe 12 years or so, listing the top reasons why churches end up in court. And property matters is among them. It's among the top reasons that churches end up in litigation, not the least of which is zoning. So I would love to hear you just sort of chime in to the issues that you've seen that land churches in court because of land maps. Excellent topic, particularly in today's environment where yeah. many churches now, <laughs> we were saying, the new small is a new big. In other words, you create a smaller entity and you see a lot more of these smaller churches because the pandemic, you don't have big groups, et cetera. And so small is a new big in the faith community, meaning that a lot of smaller churches open in people's homes and or they get a small property. And the issue with, though, in your home, that's one thing. But when you purchase a property, and as you mentioned earlier, the founding pastor did that 40 plus years ago. Besides the issue about who really owns it, there's another issue too. And that's the tax-exempt status of the property. The property, in order to gain tax-exempt status, first of all, must be owned by a religious entity, recognized by the IRS to be for that purpose, for religious worship purposes. And the use of the land is not for personal gain or for personal reasons. It's for religious worship only by an entity that is a faith-based entity. Short of that, there's also liability concerns too. 
someone slips and falls in the parking lot, in the driveway, in the church, who ultimately is at risk of being sued? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. And so that pastor and husband wife team that have it in their name, they're subject or they're open to liability. And that's how you see happen. When you create a separate entity that owns that property, that entity can sue and be sued in its own name. Right. And my recommendation is not only put it in the name of a church, but get that church incorporated, recognized by the state or jurisdiction you're located in, put the title to the property in that name of the entity that's registered with the state or local jurisdiction you're in. That way it's very clear that there is no private ownership rights to the property. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really good. I just wanted listeners to hear that because, again, these are the kinds of things that may seem like a good idea to have the property in your name for one reason. Like sometimes, again, founders, they put a lot into pushing a new ministry up the hill, just like you start a new company. We all get that. But ultimately, there's a benefit that only God can give and the property should probably stay with the ministry. Mm-hmm. We are almost running out of time, but are there any final things that you'd like to share with our listeners on this huge topic of expanding the use of church property and the related legal considerations? Yes. And I just want to end with how we started it, talking about in today's world, in today's environment, where we're looking for sources of revenue for the church in order to survive. When we see declining membership, we see declining offerings and tithes, tithes and offerings. Look at your property as being another avenue in order to bring revenue in, but you must do it properly. And no, that's right. you have not only a legal advisor, but also an accounting advisor. Because yes. there's a thing called unrelated business income yep. that is taxed by the federal yep. government. So your rental yes. fee, your rent that you collect from your users may be viewed as unrelated business income that the IRS will want to have a look at. So you need an accounting team. You need to have a lawyer. You need to get those law ministries up and running. You need to get those folks in the pews active in these things. And they then bring their talents to the church. And that's what God wants to see. Thank you so much, Bajet. I'm going to mention one final matter and then we'll need to close out. But that is a new act that went into effect January 1st, 2024, called the Corporate Transparency Act. It's front of mind for me because I held a webinar earlier this month talking about this issue because it's so critical. And I just want to highlight that I met with a church today that has, I don't know, 3,000 members or something like that. And they have various other components. They've got a school, they have a CDC. Well, the CDC is set up in a way that the church owned the land You've seen these kinds of deals, right? So the church owns the land, but it brings in a developer, a for-profit, to create an affordable housing. So when you have these kinds of deals, while the Corporate Transparency Act was created really as a reporting requirement for corporations and limited liability companies, and it does mention that tax-exempt entities are exempt from reporting, but there's also an exception to that exception. And these are the more sophisticated kinds of deals that I just want to highlight for our listeners. Take a look and see if this is the kind of thing that maybe your church with its creative use of its real estate 
because of this new law, maybe something that you'll want to look into. And I'll make a point to hopefully drop the link to the webinar where I shared more about this Corporate Transparency Act and how you can review matters for um, your church and nonprofit. So Majette, I just want to say thank you so much for being on the Church Law Podcast. Thank you and all the ways that you serve the faith community and the wisdom that you bring. I truly appreciate you. You're welcome. To God be the glory. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. I'm happy to be your host, Erika Cole, the church attorney and creator of the Church Attorney Legal Audit System my four-step proprietary process that helps churches and denominations assess their legal risk. Set the tone for integrity in your church and download your free copy of the Legal Audit Document Checklist using the link in the show notes below and learn more at erikacole.com. That's E-R-I-K-A-C-O-L-E.com. podcast is brought to you by Church Law and Tax, part of Christianity Today's podcast network. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is provided with the understanding that the host and the publisher are not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, or other professional services. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional person should be sought. Due to the nature of the U.S. legal system, laws and regulations constantly change. Listeners are encouraged to consult with legal counsel to verify the information provided here remains current. Visit churchlawandtax.com for more insights.